a mysterious fighter, a campout in a truck overnight that went horribly wrong, and a summer camp creep. These are just a few of the things you'll find in today's episode, which is chock full of strangeness and terrors. In fact, I'm curious to know your opinion as to who was wrong in the third story and what they might have been running from in the fourth story. This is Camping Horrors, the show where real people share their scariest camping and hiking experiences, and I narrate them. Enjoy these stories, and be sure to send me your scary and true camping and hiking stories at darkstories.org. If you want more of my narrations, search for Unexplained Encounters and Tales from the Break Room, my other shows, on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or just go to eeriecast.com. And if you don't mind, and you like what you've been hearing here, leave us a rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, too. Thank you. Now, throw a log on the fire, because the night is still young. The White Belt Legend From Anonymous I'm a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I'll just call it BJJ. It's a grappling martial arts mainly used in MMA and in the UFC. It's the combination of using leverage and technique to beat bigger and stronger opponents. Now, I won't bore you with the history of BJJ. I love it, and it's a hobby which actually makes me happy, and I like the types of people you meet and train with. I've competed in some grappling tournaments, but nothing big. Now, BJJ has surpassed traditional martial arts like karate and taekwondo for self-defense and fitness purposes. Many companies and martial arts schools now incorporate BJJ into their curriculums. It's a worldwide phenomenon, often hailed as the most effective martial art in the world. And I intend to stick with it as long as I can. The belt system progresses from white belt to blue, purple, brown, black, and ultimately, red. My teacher, John, is a black belt. He runs his own school. He organized a weekend outing for his students, a camping trip into the forest. Unfortunately, only four students, including myself, were able to go. John, though disappointed by the low turnout, proceeded with the trip. So there was me, John, Stuart, a brown belt with over three years of experience, Rob, a blue belt, and our newest member, Lewis, a white belt training for just two months. When we embarked on the trip, initially, everything seemed promising for a great weekend. We set up our tents and supplies in a forest spot on a Friday. The evening began well, with beer, music, laughter, and stories from John's past competitions. As the night went on, we retreated to our tents. On Saturday morning, as we emerged from our tents, we noticed John hadn't yet come out of his. Upon checking up on him, we found something that had shattered the entire trip's atmosphere, and for some time, our lives. John, our black belt instructor, had been choked to death. Shocked, horrified, we all hesitated before involving the police. We wanted to understand what had happened before taking action, John was a black belt, highly skilled in BJJ, making it unlikely that any of us could have overpowered him and killed him. Suspicions arose due to some of us leaving our tents during the night. Devastated, we scoured the forest for clues before alerting the police. 
When we regrouped, there were only three of us. Rob, Lewis, and I. Because next, we found Stuart, also choked to death, near his tent. None of it made sense. The deaths of our best grapplers pointed to a skilled assailant, but who and why? Eventually, the police showed up. The news shocked many, and the funeral had a massive turnout. Before John's school closed down, I organized a final roll on the mats with every student to honor his memory. The police were even baffled. Neither Rob, Lewis, nor I had the skill or strength to overpower John or Stuart to choke them to death like that. Unfortunately, only one other person attended the gathering, possibly due to grief. Surprisingly, that was Lewis, the new student. The strange part about that was I felt an unusual sense of pressure and technique, though he was meant to be a white belt. He beat me and pinned me on the mat. With a smile, Lewis got up and left without a word. Disturbed and confused, I left and I would eventually join a new BJJ school. But nowadays when I spar, especially with white belts, I do so with caution. Rolling with them seems to trigger stress and panic within me, but none I faced have ever had the same level of skill as Lewis. What the implications of that might be, I don't like to think about, but I do know that I miss my old instructor and his school. Summer Camp From Anonymous I want to start off by saying that even though this event took place three years ago, I still get anxious when I think about it. When I was around 11 years old, I went to this summer camp with my classmates. In the beginning, truthfully, it was a blast. We had a lot of fun. That was until one night. We began to hear the sound of footsteps around the shelter where my friends and I had been staying. It woke me up, but I was too afraid to get up and take a look to see who was out there. So I just lay in bed, listening to the footsteps around the shelter. Eventually, I didn't hear the footsteps anymore, so only then did I decide to peek outside. But when I did, I saw someone, someone I assumed to be a man, standing right in front of our shelter. I was creeped out. I woke up all my friends, but when I wanted to show the person to them, that person was gone. The next day, I kind of forgot about the event. Maybe because we were too busy, that day, my friends and I were joining a group of rangers who took us into the wilderness, where we had the chance to walk around on our own, as long as we came back before 1500 hours. We went into the woods, expecting to see a lot of animals or some cool sights. However, the only thing we came across was a man. The man waved us down to come over to him. I didn't trust this for one second, obviously, but one of my friends said that it would be rude to ignore him and not go over. Maybe he needed something. I told him he could go, but I was getting out of here. I was going to turn back to the rangers and tell them about everything, but it was too late. While my friends and I were discussing whether we should or shouldn't go to the man, the man probably figured that we didn't trust him, so he started to walk over to us. I'll never forget the weird, huge smile on his face when he spoke. 
Hey, boys. Wanna have some fun? Right away, I replied. Uh, no thanks. My friends and I have to go back to the rangers. The man said, okay, and thankfully let us go. That was kind of surprising to me, but hey, you didn't hear me complain about it. That night I woke up to the sound of footsteps again. This time I made sure to first wake up all my friends before taking a look outside to see what was there. When they were all awake, I decided then to look and see who was this person who woke me up two nights in a row. There was the figure again, and this time I could see his face. It was the same man we saw that afternoon. How did he know where we were staying? One of my friends yelled the following thing, and pardon my French, but it's actually what they said. Hey, pedo, come closer and I'll stab the living crap out of you. I kid you not. I looked over, and I saw him holding a huge knife. That may be what saved us, because when that man saw my friend's knife, he immediately booked it. The next day, we went to the rangers to report the man. We never heard about him again. The unsettling encounter remained a haunting memory for me, because I'll never know exactly what he wanted with us kids. My neighbor was a crazy person. From K.H. I live in a rural part of Texas, known as Waco. We have a small town that I live in called China Spring, and it's surrounded by forests and woods. Recently, my parents decided to put a small fence up to keep our two dogs from getting in my neighbor's yard, because they have two pit bulls, and they attacked our cat once. We didn't want that to happen again with our dogs. The original fence that was there had started to rot, so we would have to replace the rotting boards on our side of the fence. Keep that in mind. Then we put up small metal chicken wire to keep them from getting out. I went out to help build that fence, and before we even got the first panel removed, our neighbor came out screaming at us. She said horrible things to my dad about past struggles he had with alcohol and drugs, and even mocked him for being a cancer survivor. By that time, I'd had enough. I told her to just get to the point. She raved on and on about how she didn't want to fence up and how it was our animals that were in their yard. I tried to explain to her that this was our side of the property and that it was only going to keep our animals from getting in their yard. She wasn't having it. She started screaming at us again, like she was some lunatic. Before long, we weren't listening anymore, and we were walking back up to the house. From that point on, things have never been the same between us and our neighbors. One morning, we finally called the fencing company to come in and put up a six-foot fence around our property, and to install gates with passcodes so only we could get in. When the fence was put up, we had our own privacy again, and to be honest, it was nice, but not for long. We started to get phone calls from random numbers, saying that we needed to take our fence down, or bad things would happen, and other stupid things like that. One time I was home alone, and one of those numbers called again. This time the person said if we didn't take the fence down, we would receive a visit. By that time I was fed up, so I called my brother who went to the local college in our town 
and I told him about our neighbor problems. I asked if he'd like to come down and help me sort this out. Now, I know you're probably wondering why we didn't call the police. Trust me, we did multiple times, but they said since it was a burn phone and was most likely destroyed, they would have a hard time tracking the line. When my brother came over to help me out, we decided we would camp out in his car and wait. That night, after a few hours, we were starting to get tired. After another hour or so, we finally saw my neighbor, the man, come out of his house and go into his garden shed. If that wasn't sketchy enough, we fell asleep, only to wake up to the sound of clanking metal underneath the hood. Someone had popped our hood open, and when they shut it, we saw my neighbor standing right in front of us, a pair of pliers in his hands. He ran right away back toward the fence line, and my brother had full intentions of chasing him. We jumped out of the car and sprinted after him. He tried to open his door and get into his house, but we caught him, wrestling him down to the concrete. His wife stood at the door screaming in horror. Then she called the pit bulls on us. Still wrestling her husband, the two pit bulls jumped on us, starting to rip at us and bark. I heard my parents come out of the house. My dad started to yell for me to run, but it was too late. One of the dogs had latched onto my hand and started to chew and tear at my arm. My brother finally got out of the other dog's grasp and freed me from the one that was biting my arm. To make a long story short here, three people rode in an ambulance that night to the hospital. My brother had to get stitches on his face and elbows where the dogs had chewed him up. My neighbor went to get x-rays for broken bones and head trauma and I had to get three surgeries on my arms to replace the tissue that had been damaged and the bones that had been broken and ripped. As for my brother's truck, apparently the neighbor had been tampering with the brake cables and gas and engine. Also, what scares me the most is when we got home, we noticed that part of the fence had been broken into, and the metal gate had been pried open to the point where an adult could squeeze past the bars. It makes me wonder what could have happened if my brother and I never decided to camp out in this truck. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Camper Nightmare from Anonymous 
My family and I had been planning this camping trip for months. It was going to be our big summer vacation, a week spent in nature, sleeping in our camper and enjoying the great outdoors. My wife, Joyce, and I have two kids, a 12-year-old son named Tyler and a 9-year-old daughter named Amy. The kids were so excited for this trip, and so were we. It had been a few years since our last camping vacation, and we were all ready for a break from the hustle of daily life. We packed up the camper and hit the road early Saturday morning. Our destination was a campground about four hours from home, one we'd stayed at a few times before. It was nice because it had a lake for swimming and fishing. It also had hiking trails and was generally pretty secluded while still having some working utilities. After stopping for lunch along the way, we soon arrived at the campground in the mid-afternoon. We checked in, found our campsite, and got everything set up. Right away, the kids went to go explore, so we let them ride their bikes around while Joyce and I organized the camper, getting our outdoor kitchen ready for dinner. Before long, the mouth-watering scent of grilled burgers filled the air. As the sun began to set, we ate our dinner and roasted marshmallows over the fire. The dark woods surrounding our campsite was peaceful. The only sounds were the crackling fire, the occasional call of a bird, and my family's voices and laughter. Before long, the kids began to yawn, worn out from a day of travel and adventure. We got them ready for bed in the camper. After that, Joyce and I sat by the fire for a bit, before turning in ourselves. The next morning, we woke up ready for a full day of activities. After a quick breakfast, we walked down to the lake to do some fishing. The kids got bored of that pretty quick, so they played in the shallow water near shore while Joyce and I cast our lines. We didn't have any luck, maybe because the kids were playing in the water, but we enjoyed the tranquil morning. When we got back to the campsite, we decided it was time for a hike. There were a few different trails leaving from the campground into the woods. We chose one that was listed as a family-friendly spot, and it would take us a few hours. The forest there was dense and beautiful. Tyler led the way while Amy picked wildflowers. Joyce and I held hands, taking in the sights and sounds. About halfway through the hike, we came across an old abandoned cabin. It looked as if it had been empty for years, with a crumbling chimney and caved-in roof. Amy wanted to explore it, but I thought it wasn't safe. We paused there to have a snack before continuing on the trail. Something about that cabin gave me the creeps. I felt relief when it was out of sight behind us. The afternoon flew by. We left the woods and went for a swim, played some card games, took naps in the camper. Before we knew it, the sun was getting low and it was time to make dinner. Hot dogs and beans were enjoyed over laughter and campfire smoke. There's nothing better than that. As the sky darkened, I noticed the woods seemed eerily quiet like all the animals had suddenly disappeared. Or maybe they were hiding from something. A chill ran down my spine, despite the heat of the fire. The kids must have noticed, too, because Tyler said, It's creepy out here tonight, huh? Joyce and I glanced at each other with unease. Soon we were all ready to head inside the camper for the night. As we got up to go inside... A shrill scream pierced the silence from somewhere deep in the woods. The kids shrieked 
and grabbed onto us. Joyce gasped. What was that? The scream sounded again, even closer and more blood curdling. My protective instincts kicked in. Get inside, now, I ordered. We rushed into the camper, and I locked the door behind us. We huddled anxiously in the back, waiting. The screams echoed once more, then went quiet. We stayed awake all night, listening, but didn't hear the screams again. None of us got much sleep. When morning light finally crept in, we were relieved, yet still unnerved. Over a quick breakfast, we discussed packing up and leaving early, but the kids begged to stay one more night, promising not to wander too far from the campsite. Joyce and I reluctantly agreed, but we said we'd leave first thing in the morning, whether the kids liked it or not. We spent that day sticking close to our campsite. I kept getting a creeping sensation that we were being watched from the woods. The family that occupied the neighboring campsite had apparently packed up and left sometime during the night when they had too heard the screams. I didn't blame them one bit. As the sun began to set, I noticed a distant rumbling of thunder. Dark clouds were approaching. A summer storm was rolling in. We ate a quiet dinner, then went inside the camper, hoping to wait out the storm. The wind began to howl, lightning flashing brighter, thunder booming louder, and then the heavy rain started to pelt down. The storm soon became the least of our worries. Over the torrential downpour, a noise arose from the woods. At first, it was barely audible, but it steadily grew louder, more pronounced. A ghastly moaning echoed around us, accompanied by the sounds of snapping branches and underbrush being trampled. My family cowered in the camper, terrified. What is it? What's out there? Amy whimpered through tears. I, I don't know, honey. Joyce replied shakily. Your father and I will protect you, okay? I clutched my shaking hands into tight fists, ready to defend my family from whatever evil lurked in those dark trees. The awful moaning and trampling grew deafeningly close before stopping just at the edge of our campsite. We held our breaths, bracing for attack. Suddenly, a bright light flashed outside the camper window, blinding us. A bullhorn squealed. Come out with your hands up. We stumbled out of the camper, stunned to see two police officers approaching us, guns aimed warily at the tree line. There is a dangerous animal on the loose, one that we've been tracking, one explained. Please quickly pack up so we can escort you to safety. We didn't have to be told twice. We rushed to pack everything into the camper while keeping an eye out for whatever animal had been stalking us. Soon we were driving away, flooded with relief. The kids fell asleep almost instantly after the terrifying ordeal. Once we felt safely far away, Joyce turned to me and whispered, Next year, I say we just go to the beach. I wholeheartedly agreed. We never did return to those woods, and to this very day I wonder what kind of animal the police were tracking. My summer trip 
to Gettysburg from Anonymous. Let me explain a few things about myself. I'm a huge Civil War buff. I've always loved reading and watching documentaries about it. One of my favorite eras is the American Civil War. So naturally, when I was 12, I convinced my parents to allow me to reenact as a member of an Ohio regiment. I loved portraying the Union side, continuously learning more about the war, and I made a lot of good friends doing it. I had a friend named Ed, who portrayed a Virginia unit and would always try to get me to join them. So when I was 17, I contacted him because I wanted to start reenacting as a Confederate as a second impression. When I called him, he said he would help me out. He also told me he was going to do a living history event on the battlefield of Gettysburg, and he invited me to come along. I was able to convince my parents to let me go. I was so excited. This was going to be my first time spending the night at an event. We met up early on Friday and drove to Gettysburg. The whole ride was filled with stories of reenactments and history. It was pretty fun. We arrived at 7.30 and we met up with other guys in the unit. I stood and chatted with these guys, getting to know them. Let's call the leader of the group, Jack. Jack was a great and funny guy. There were also a few other guys, one of whom was named Thomas. Thomas had been in some deep situations in Afghanistan during an offensive with the Marines. Now allow me to explain where we camped. It was called Spangler Spring. During that battle, it was a killing field. The Confederate forces charged across it to attack the Union on Culp's Hill. The spring and nearby Rock Creek ran red with blood from the dead and dying. It was a rather intense place to camp. As we were setting up camp, the park ranger in charge of the program stopped by. He told us about what we were going to be doing the next day in terms of interacting with the public. He also mentioned there had been threats to tear down and deface monuments. He warned us to be on guard because these people meant business. Due to this, we decided to set up a picket duty, which involved standing guard with a fixed bayonet. As the night went on, we got dressed in our period clothing and stoked up the campfire. We passed around beer and whiskey. We were all joking around, laughing, telling stories, before deciding to crawl into our tents. I'd drawn the short straw and was assigned the second shift of the night. This meant I would sleep for a little bit, then wake up for guard duty. As I was heading to my tent, Jake pulled me aside, telling me that if fog started to come out of Rock Creek, not to go near it. Puzzled, I asked him why. He simply said, you don't want to know. I replied with an uncertain, okay, and crawled into my pup tent. Around three o'clock in the morning, I felt a tug on my boot. It was Thomas. Hey, get your butt up. It's time for your shift, he said. So I crawled warily out and got ready. I stoked the fire as Thomas went into his tent. Time passed slowly as I stood there alone on the battlefield. I didn't know how long it had been, but I saw movement around one of the monuments. It looked strange and out of place. Being a teenager with a bit of alcohol in me, I thought I could take on whoever it was. Slowly, I left the camp, and I went toward the monument. 
I aimed my rifle, hoping to scare the person off. I saw them dart behind it, so I lunged forward, yelling a rebel yell, but nothing was there. I was puzzled by this. I tried to reason with myself. Then I noticed a fog starting to creep out of Rock Creek. It passed my feet and began to surround me. Soon, the air smelled thick with gunpowder. Musket shots began to ring out. Orders were shouted. Black silhouettes of soldiers ran past me. They were falling, and moans came from them. I was scared stiff. Fear ran through me. I felt like I was going to die. Then, bam, I felt something hit me in the stomach. I fell on my rear, screaming out. I lay there for what felt like hours. I looked toward our campsite, but I couldn't see the glow of our fire. I tried to crawl away then, but the pain kept growing. I passed out next to the monument. I woke up a few minutes later to see the fog retreating back to the creek. Then Jake came running from camp, dragging me back as the fog crept closer. You okay, kid? He asked. I had to take a leak and noticed you were gone. I saw a gap in the mist there. Weird stuff happens in there, right? He explained. I said yes, and I told him what happened to me. He looked at me and he laughed. We've all had our experiences, kid. It happens here. We just sort of tuck it away as an old story and move on, he advised. The fog never entered the camp, but did stay around it. We sat there and talked for the rest of the morning. Thomas came out of his tent and joined us. You saw it, right? The horror, he said. Yep, I replied. When someone dies a violent death like that, it just doesn't leave. Lives snuffed out in an instant, something remains. Watching someone bleed out in your hands is a horrific experience. This place is saturated in that pain. There's something here, he said. We stared at him in silence. He then changed the topic to work. Eventually, the morning arrived, and we went about our activities. Other than this incident, it was a fun weekend. Gettysburg is a great family vacation spot and tourist attraction. The place remembers that a battle happened there. Thousands of kids fought and died over issues back then. Just because it's been over 150 years doesn't mean it's insignificant. There is something on that battlefield, and it will always be there. Thank you for stopping by at our little campsite here at Camping Horrors. To hear your story on the show, send it to us for narration at darkstories.org. For more narrations from me, you can catch me on my other podcasts, Unexplained Encounters, and Tales from the Break Room on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Or you can go to eeriecast.com for those and even more terrifying podcasts. Follow me on X, formerly Twitter, at Dark Prevails. And be sure to leave Camping Horrors a rating and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Now then, I'll see you soon when the campfire blazes once again.